0: Welcome to Vonde Radio, and today I am joined by Mr. Jason Craig. It's a great honour to have Mr. Craig with me today. He is the editor of Those Catholic Men and Sword and Spade magazine, of which I'm, an, I'm a subscriber, and the author of Leaving Boyhood Behind, published in 2019. He's also co-founder of Fraternus for Catholic Men. He has a master's in theology from the Augustine Institute. Mr. Craig runs a small grade A dairy in South Carolina with his family and hosts retreats and workshops for men there under the title of St. Joseph's Farm. He also writes for the Catholic gentleman and he is known to claim that his family invented bourbon. So, Mr. Craig, welcome to Vondé Radio.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Well, I uh, had good engagement with my interview with Dr. Gerard Stout and since then I've been reading more deeply the literature around Catholic culture and particularly the various disciples of Dr. John Senior and I've become very interested in the Catholic land movement which actually originated on this side of the pond with Father Vincent McNabb and the distributists but seems to have acquired a certain degree of purchase in America as well Now, as a man that's chosen a path of agrarianism, could you give us a little sketch of your life and and how you you ended up becoming a a dairy farmer and the mission you have towards cultivating Catholic culture and particularly supporting Catholic men in doing so?
1: Sure. Um, The agrarianism for me, it definitely... uh, Well, one, let me just qualify things. That was a long list Of things that I do, the dairy farm being one of them, it is not I don't I don't make most of my income that I need to support my family from a farm. Um, However, we do have a relatively, you know, comparatively relatively land based home economy um, and we do grow a lot of our own food. We're basically sustainable with, as I say, meat and drink, milk and uh, and a lot of pork. We raise a lot of pork. Um, And so just qualify that to make sure people don't think uh, that I was able to transition easily from, you know, a suburban life to now a farmer and, you know, five easy steps. Because it's massively difficult. When I went to find mentors to to dairy farm, and I don't know why we wanted to do that, particularly somewhat intuitive. I do like it. But I got zero encouragement from any dairy farmers to get into it. And they all say basically you can't it's too insurmountable the cost of land the cost of all the equipment it's it's just it's not possible if you haven't inherited it then you can't do it that was uh so i could speak later of how we actually do our dairy farm um and it and it, it's a in total disarray and a mess right now and COVID has hurt us tremendously but um the Going to the farm was related to the work with fraternists, at the studying at the Augusta Institute, and reading John Sr., uh, and the distributists, and the, the, you know Vincent McNabb, Chesterton, Belloc. Uh, all of these things were swirling in my mind. I think every man at some point in their life has an agrarian bug that bites them. Uh, if they're a husband, particularly, they realize this would all—they <laughs> sort of hit a wall where they're <clears throat> maybe in their cubicle or they're at home, stuck inside, or watching Netflix with their family. And they think this whole thing would be easier if i was on a farm Um, and i think part of the reason we think that is because it's partly true um, but we all sort of get bitten by this bug so i got bit um, and we slowly did find our way back it was largely related to the work with fraternists which is proposing very simple things like men should mentor boys uh, in the faith and that males are more suited to teach catechize young men because in fact they are men that 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 male and female he created them and that our struggles our even our sins uh the virtues we need the vices we get gripped in uh they have uh the broad universal things like prudence justice fortitude, temperance yet how that looks in a man's life where a woman is different therefore men are better at it mentoring boys that is into being men uh however i was wondering what what exactly happened? Why is this so difficult? Why does this apostolate even exist? This seems so natural. And and slowly going back to just the Industrial Revolution's effect on the family, um, people just dismiss that discussion a lot, but it's not a romanticized uh, or or simplistic proposal to say the Industrial Revolution completely upended the family economy. It's a fact. This is historical fact. Um, And to... Some people will dismiss it. It's like, well, we just we live completely in an industrialized society. Therefore, you know, shut your brain off or something. I don't know. But no, this is this. This is the discussion is how do we now exist in this, you know, technopoly, as Neil Postman put it, um, that we live in. So that our thought was, let's go back home to North Carolina. We were studying at I was in Denver. I was at the Augustine Institute. Let's go home. Um, And uh, we went back to our home state and we. Had no money, we bartered to live on our first homestead. Uh, we saved enough to be able to buy, so we we bartered, meaning I worked <clears throat> on this land in exchange for living in this house that they had on the land, and um, that's where we experimented with dairy cows, and goats, and pigs, and turkeys, and chickens, and other terrible animals. Um, no, they were, it was mostly good, but then we settled into the dairy farming, we actually bought. A three-acre homestead, which Chesterton, the his famously, you know, the three acres and a cow. We did that. We had three acres and a cow. And uh, <coughs> in the last couple of years, we moved to, to a bigger farm. We're about at 20 acres now. And that is only possible because we bought the farm with my father. And now we um, are running a small grade A. I think we might be the smallest grade A dairy in in uh, North Carolina. But, yes, this side of the pond, as they say, the distribu- the Distributist ideals really uh, never died, especially in the. I don't know how we're depicted uh, by your media, but in the South in the United States, um, things like kin, tradition, um, place, limits, um, uh, the the value of personal property, and all all of those things um, remained important. In fact, uh, G.K. There was a book. By what's called the Southern Agrarians, uh, called "I'll Take My Stand." G.K. Chesterton actually reviewed the book, and he said, "All along we were trying to revive." I believe this is my. I don't know the quote exactly, but we were trying to revive Jolly, uh, excuse me, Mary England. And it turns out it was it was over there the whole time, meaning in the in the South. Obviously uh, tainted by the horrible sin of chattel slavery. Uh, the great thing about being Southern, though, in the United States, is that we lost uh the war among the states and so we actually had to reconcile uh with being an enslaving people whereas the rest of the country also had racism yet they get to impose uh on the south all of their sins even though when i lived in the north for a brief time uh when i was a child it was wildly segregated uh up there and when i moved to the south there was an integrated diverse community that i lived in Um, so don't believe everything you're reading. I don't know how it's depicted over there. But anyway, Southern agrarianism, agrarianism in the United States generally has been a, a long intellectual tradition, but it's not an easily widespread movement. I wouldn't call it that um, at this point. But anyway, that's that wasn't a long winded answer. Did you, or did I answer your question?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'd like to pick up on a couple of your points, there, uh, Mr. Craig. To start with, we have. In the book of Genesis, the first commandment that God gives to Adam before the fall is to tend the garden. And in the in the Last Supper discourse in John 15, our Lord says that where where he famously describes himself as the the vine and and his followers as the branches, that uh, partameus agricola est. My father is a farmer. In 1946, Pope Pius XII gave an address at uh, the convention of the National Confederation of Italian Farm Owners. And he said, quote, sin did in truth render labor in the fields burdensome, but it was not sin that introduced such labor into the world. Before there was any sin, God gave man the earth for his cultivation as the most beautiful and honorable occupation in the natural order. And he went on to elaborate that it is actual contact since your lives are lived in places still remote from the excesses of an artificial civilization. Under the Son of the Heavenly Father, your lives are dedicated to bringing forth from the depths of the earth the abundant riches which His hand has hidden there for you. Your contact with Mother Earth has also a deep social significance because your families are not merely consumer consumer communities, but also and especially producer communities. You are Your being so strongly rooted in the family constitutes the importance of your contribution to the correct development of the pro- private and public order of society. You are called upon for this reason to perform an indispensable function as source and defense of a stainless moral and religious life. For the land is a kind of nursery which supplies men sound in soul and body for all occupations for the church and for the state." So that's one of Past Twelfth's allocutions and just one of, of many moments of church teaching that speak to the fact that the church recognizes an organic society mm-hmm. which is very far from what we have now but i suppose could you uh, you know elaborate on how the, the most basic needs of man for sustenance, for food shelter water the need for farming is the basis of culture and low culture and i don't mean that in a disparaging way of being foundational to human civilization
1: yeah there's um no, I don't mind the phrase low culture. There's a great book if anyone's interested. Uh, I think it's probably the last book that will be published by Wendell Berry, who's in America. He's interesting. He sort of transcends different uh, political characterizations, but he's generally he's a Southern agrarian writer. That's what he is. It's who, where, where he is, what he is, what he's come from. Uh, but he has a great book called On the Art of Loading Brush. <clears throat> And it's a, title, it's a collection of different types of writings, actually. But the last essay is, is I'm sorry, it's not an essay. It's a. It's a It's like a missing chapter of a book. And he has a man mentoring a boy in how to load brush. And the boy is a student of classical music. And he says, he, he snaps at him. And he says, you, you can't even load brush. How do you expect there to be a high culture if there's no low culture? And uh, he said, you go back and tell your professors that. And he's absolutely right. There's all these people that have you know, articulating or trying to discuss these things, they might say, well, we're no longer an agrarian society. It's like, well, therefore, we're not a true society. It's impossible because these low things are the necessary things first because you have a body. I mean, we're delusional to think we've transcended the needs of the body. We just don't see how those needs are easily met. And then sometimes we're greatly dismayed at what, at our lack of health or our lack of security when it comes to food, when all of a sudden, our, our systems and babble like uh, you know food systems uh, don't work as well, which generally they do work very well, but not at making us well. I mean, they're not healthy or better tasting foods. In America, you can get a tomato any time of the year. Uh, the only problem is, is it tastes awful, right? But we don't even care. It's, it's a tomato. You right? got it. it.
0: Are you saying a three D printed chicken nugget isn't isn't <laughs> sustaining for?
1: Yeah, and. The great thing about things of low culture is that they're enjoyable and they're natural. And because the natural is created by God, they're good and they do good things to us. You know, it is good when you work. It is good when you work. It's better when you work with your family. It's better when you work with your family, uh, even better when you're providing your own basic needs and you're secure in those things. I mean, what is every all life, all economic activity? We're seeking a certain security right now. Dangerous to talk about this in the the COVID era because it's like becomes everything. But what I mean is it's good to know where um, my next meal will come from. It's better to know where next year's meal will come from. And when you're on the farm, um, you have a certain awareness of where that's coming from. And the actual doing of that work has the natural consequence, side effect of uh, strengthening the bonds with your family. So it's yes, it's it's native. And this isn't an idea. That's the thing. It's not an ideal and that's the problem with agrarianism, because it gets proposed as an ideal. When it's not, it's, mm. No, it's actually a fact that no, this is the normal state of man. That from <laughs> from forever has been normal, organic, natural. It wasn't as if people like me, you know, some living in an apartment, going to grad school, made a decision to go live back on the land. Isn't he cool? No, this was this was this was normal and natural. And we've robbed people of that. Um, by displacing them from the land. And that's an important point of Wendell Berry, too, is that we've displaced people from the land by policy. Not, mm-hmm. it wasn't an organic development that everyone, and that's a myth that people fled to the cities to just bang down the doors of the factories to get inside uh, to see what those smokestack, what magic incense was being burned in there. That like, It's not true. There was economic and legal activity that was displacing them from their places, their land, and yeah, there was some security with the wage system, but that, has, that did not produce, um, you know, b- some budding of new, wonderful culture uh, that is way better than what we had. Because we're all clamoring back to the village. That's what everyone wants. That's what we name our suburbs, villages. Um, but, yeah, as Pius Twelfth says, this is the primordial vocation of man. man for us men, as you asked, um, this was our work before we even had a wife. Right, it was it was husbandry before even husband. Uh, that was our job. You know, we had a, we had a body and it needed to eat. And the way God ordained the world in its perfection was that we would work it. So and in that though, it's a humble act. We are God already created the world good, yet He told us to work in it. So what that means is we're bringing to a greater perfection something which is already perfect. That's part of our, our sharing in his life, which is as creator, as God, we get to share in that life by our work, right? It was already good. We're just working within. It's That's very different from modern, you know, factories in the field, agriculture, but it's we are cooperating with the created world um, in a way that God ordained that is teaching us something about him, right? Every contact with something he made is going to teach us about him. And it's also teaching us about ourselves. It's tempering ourselves increasing our strength. And yes, there is nothing. I love working on the farm where the difference between men and women physically, uh, even in the way we think and act, becomes manifest and not adversarial. My wife and I have no need to compete over who is better at using uh, the saw to cut something. I am. My upper body strength is stronger. I am better suited to that. And there's nothing adversarial about coming to terms with, I'm going to go get the firewood. Of course she can help, but she's, there, there's much better ways where she is more helpful and I'm less helpful. Um, and there's, there's nothing, we're not at odds. We're not competing with the, that labor has been divided in some sort of natural and absolutely equal sense. And we're just slicing up the pie of the labor on the farm. It's no, it's there's things that we're suited to as men and women that are better uh, that we are better, that I as a man am better than my wife because she's a woman. Um, that's beautiful here. There's nothing scary to our egos um, living there. So, yeah, it, it is. And when it comes to your question of masculinity, I know there are other means to form boys into men, uh, but I don't know them, meaning I don't know them with firsthand sense knowledge I do know that the work of physical labor, of using your body, helps to form the virtue of young men in ways that no amount of study or or information transfer will do. They need to come to grips with their own strength and direct it and temper it and increase it in a setting that is given to them by God to help form their character. That's why... I love uh, in uh, Rerum Navarum by Pope Leo XIII when he talks about the forming of personality by working on the land, that a man forms his personality and impresses his personality on the land, where he becomes more of who he is, which makes sense. If Adam was placed in the garden till and work, that's the command of God, that's our vocation, then we become more of who we are by working in that natural vocation. So it is a wonderful grace and gift to be able to work uh, close to the land. And it's messy and it's terrible. <clears throat> I'm giving you all the romantic stuff. Um, my sons and I had a terrible week. With the cows getting in the barn. And completely emptying their entire intestinal tract. Into places where they should not have. And us having to clean up and deal with that. It's terrible. But at the same time. I don't have to manufacture. I don't need to give them lectures about being responsible. They see the poop on the floor. They clean it up because it must be done. <laughs> I don't have to. We don't have to have a sit-down family meeting about um, doing what needs to be done. It needs to be done. It's right there. Go clean the crap up. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. Um, and it, provi- it fills up for a lot of my own shortcomings as a father that I don't know another means that I would be able to, I don't know, pull these lessons out of flashcards or long drives to school or something. I don't, I don't know where else that would happen. Not saying there isn't a way. I'm just saying I don't know those ways. And that is confirmed. One, by people's experience on the farm and the fact that our society is so lacking in character that it's obviously built on the farm. In that same address, I believe it's that address, Pius XII says the farm produces altogether different men. And that seems to Mm -hmm. be true. (coughs) Excuse me. Don't worry, I'm coughing here in isolation. No one's in the room with me.
0: (laughs) Homestead isolation. (laughs) The low culture then has correct conditions, these natural conditions, flowers is penetrated by grace and then flowers into beautiful high culture over time. So I recall going to Bavaria in southern Germany, which was a landscape until the 18th century dominated by the the clusters, which were the the monasteries and through monastic, the the just monastic government uh, and economic order. What that, what that created was such a, an agricultural surplus and, and time that the artists of the, the late Baroque of the Rococo came from incredibly humble backgrounds and they adorned this bucolic landscape with the church on the hill, with the, the Calvary by the road, with the cross on the mountain, turning matter into praise and so you have this inner transformation uh, from a from an organic society that can then um, flower into into something beautiful and today we don't see beauty being produced in our culture because those conditions of, of, of the organic culture is not there anymore so we, we only produce that which is is ugly by and large, uh, with some notable exceptions. Um, so I, I guess my question is, and this is something I've discussed on this channel before, is how grace, grace perfects nature, and That's the a problem great way with to put it. yeah, modern man is is denatured. So that that leaves people, let's say, kind of unreceptive to grace in this this postmodern world we live in so how how does the how do the the rhythms of the seasons the the life amongst nature of of agriculture uh predispose one towards the the reception of grace
1: yeah well it seems it's just a matter of fact something you particularly can see in europe is um just just look behold the cultures and the beauty and the arts and the architecture and the liturgy and the music in the food, and the dance, all of that obviously came from the land itself. I mean, I love the idea even that the word for what we put into milk to make cheese is culture. You know, in those particular cultures, particular to certain places, wh- Where? what else does culture come from? If it doesn't begin the simple fact I need a meal. Okay, now that I have that meal, I would like to eat it at a table. Now that I have a <laughs> table, I'd like to eat it with people. And now, you know, it's getting a little dark. Let's light a candle. Well, why don't we adorn what's around the candle? Well, what you know, why don't we have more ser- Why don't we pray before? Why don't we pray after? Why don't we read after? Um, all of these things are growing from the meal, which grows from the basic human need of the body. I mean, this is where it has to begin in the low culture. It can't begin anywhere else. And it begins in a particular place, not as... Because all the what you're describing is the, the modern idea and this is the reason they impose their idealism on agrarianism is, no, let's come up with the idea and we'll make it and then we'll demand the logic of it be accepted. You know, I think there's actually a, I think something telling in the etymology of technologies, the Greek words techne logos, techne, like kind of like technique, like let's make it uh, logos being wisdom, like let's make it and then we'll figure out the wisdom later. Um <laughs> Whereas I think those cultures you're describing as they are secure in things like their food. I know where there's a pig in the yard. I know where my meal will come from next month. We have time for what, you know, true leisure to. And we see and we're recognizing in our intimacy with the land that what beauty is. Let's manifest that more and more. That's again like with with Adam, the till and keep the garden is not to do something opposed to it. Is to bring what's already good into a greater and greater perfection. I mean, that's what a, that's what a true culture, especially one perfected, and corrected, and tempered by grace, in the teachings of the church, um, are able to flourish in where people are happy. When they flourish, um, of course, accepting our old friend sin and how he comes and ruins all sorts of parties. That that is always growing out of low culture. So. For us and our family, we um, pursue a particularly low culture, and we're not that great at it. We're trying to bring greater order and peace to our farm, but as you know, we say, uh, "Off with the children!" We have to we have to bring order to what we're doing first before we can go off and and, and really build on that. But we are growing. We have we, we know we're we see the culture growing from the rhythms of this land and the needs that come with it. Um, so, yes, when it comes to the purpose of our buildings, what they're made of, the liturgy, the rhythms of prayer, just being in contact with um, the world around us puts those things not in conflict, but in sort of a synthesis and integration. Um, and you said you, you, you said grace perfects nature. Some people, you know, that's a Thomistic phrase and some people will put it. Grace builds on nature, and I think, especially for us Americans that love to build stuff on whatever, um, wherever we want. Um, of course, you know the Benedictines in England. I mean, they drained the swamps, right? I guess that's all they had, but they like to change land too. Just took them longer. Um, people, when they hear "Grace builds on nature," they still sense a certain opposition.
0: Um, mm, but Grace, actually, I think it's a helpful phrase because yeah. Grace fuses nature and transforms it it's not like it plops on top right it, it,
1: and now we can get started right oh now that we have grace we'll just leave nature behind and it's like no it's perfect it's bringing what because god created it good and now he's bringing it to a greater perfection through grace correcting the distortions and disfigurement of sin um that's a wonderful thing so i i just i love to know and just you know i have our last home was a hundred year old farmhouse that was still built upon <coughs> giant stones you know I, I crawled under the house and found where it was still propped up on rocks and I actually found a, a seven foot two-man saw in the garden that was buried under soil and um to just think of how integrated this place was but it was also beautiful you know they had painted it they had given thought to the to the to the structure of it it wasn't just useful it was also beautiful and Uh, It was very moving to me to find that that saw and think that they they must have felled trees for either the building or the warmth of that very home that I'm in now. And um, that work itself would have drawn them together. And the purpose of their work was obviously oriented towards that home right there. And how different that is for so many of us men that seek the balancing of life with work and family. And, you know, you can only picture a scale. You know, you can only bring things in balance that are separate separated the reason we speak of balance is because they're separated we really are our our work and everything that happens is really in a sort of competition with with and and we as husbands and fathers are often in the middle torn by those demands and part of our hopes with our farm is to bring those things in in an integration i don't want a balanced life i want an integrated life and it's (laughs) very it's a very difficult project i mean i'll put it that. i always want to make sure i qualify this so this doesn't sound overly romanticized (laughs) well
0: it's worth constantly i'm sorry i didn't hear you the the modern world militates against that Mm -hmm. yeah As the atmosphere that we're working in
1: what also there's a sort of this i the idol of choice itself that my life is a big choice um That I have to make the right ones, the good ones, the most profitable ones, the right ones, the polite ones. And that my human agency is almost absolute. Whereas Mm. here, we're limited. I can't even leave the house tonight easily um, because I have cows to milk. I have children running around everywhere. We have seven children. They just pop out of everywhere. And I'm amazingly limited. I have very few choices on how I can spend the rest of my day. Um, and but in that, I find the freedom, right, to be fully human and giving myself away in this work and, and all those things. But, yeah, the, the as you mentioned, society puts those things apart, but also puts them before you and says, choose. You know, what are you going to choose? Are you, choose your career. Choose your family. Choose this. Choose, you know, this pro-choice is the is the which, of course, you know, in the most. Heinous image of that is that you can even choose to not be limited by the life of the child in the womb. You know, if you should so choose to to get rid of that thing, you even have that. I mean, it's just choice is now uh, absolute. (coughs) Excuse me.
0: Yeah. In in the name of freedom, um, freedom to sin, which enslaves us, just to go back to Catholic culture. It presupposes at least for the celebration of the holy sacrifice of the mass, the ability to produce wine and bread. So yeah. at least that minimal level.
1: No no no, of- back up. No, back up. You're getting ahead of yourself. First you have to produce the wheat and the grapes. You know, even right. even even the preparation of making them appropriate is an act of human culture before yeah. they ever get
0: there. <clears throat> Yes, yeah, so it's not it's a hunter gatherer society cannot have the mass.
1: Ah, that's um, a good observation. That's right. Yeah.
0: So and this is it, Roger Scruton writes beautifully about this, even though he wasn't a Catholic, but the how the, the wines of Bordeaux were, were destined not to just be a a, a beverage, but a sacrament. And uh, Martin Moserbach uh, talks about this as well, how nature gives liturgy to God and how the, the, there is a song of praise in nature for the, the bees whose wax will, will go to produce votive candles uh, and the, the grapes that will, will be transubstantiated into the very precious blood of our Lord. Uh, so there's an integratio there. How is Catholic culture uh, genitum non factum, right. begotten, not made? Right.
1: <clears throat> well, this is a little. Uh... I think you've read where I've written that somewhere um, I, I use that phrase a lot, begotten, not made, uh, especially <coughs> excuse me with
0: um, can meditate on it for days months
1: <laughs> well it's I, I can't escape the phrase now because it I really think we are I mean when it comes to again, back to this choice thing, you know the idea of family and place these are all things that you inherit. They're all gifts. They're not achievements. They're not accolades. You didn't earn them. Um, they're born, right? You're you're born in, and to be able to respond rightly to a gift with good stewardship and gratitude is a totally different disposition than look what I can make. Um, you know, it is just comp- it's the Tower of Babel versus the Garden of Eden. I mean, they're just totally different uh, dispositions, and I don't think even we realize how often we, we 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 refuse what is given we refuse the gift of nature of grace of kin of family of and we we really only value that which we make happen <clears throat> and i don't know i know my culture more intimately that's a particular particular for americans is that our confidence in being able to build ourselves out of any problem has been practically helpful in lots of ways, uh, but it's partly delusional in other ways.
0: They overwhelm them. What's that? Americans don't solve problems; they overwhelm them.
1: That's right. Yes, uh, uh, indeed. Uh, so I actually, in, in even um, you know, my, our good, our shared friend Jared Stout. I believe you mentioned Jimmy Mitchell. One, one of the things I don't like is. You know, if you look today at, at like lots of Catholic websites, how many of them say something like building Catholic culture or rebuilding culture or rebuilding Christendom or building back Christendom better or make Christendom great again? Um, there's this great confidence and human agency that I understand we can't just sit around and do nothing and talk on uh, your radio show all day. But at the same time, we... Uh, it is begotten not made we have to submit to these things as if they were true because they are um and there is an organic growth that we have to submit to and realize that we cannot write this ship quickly easily programmatically systematically uh as wendell Berry says the modern man thinks the simple formula of um science plus political will equals the solution Um, Mm We have to again. What I think we're actually proposing in some of these ideals, especially agrarian and a specifically Catholic agrarianism, is not a submission to an idea, but to reality itself. In that, we are going to relinquish a little bit of control, and and in doing that, find freedom in responding to the truth as we perceive it. Which is what the you know the, the you mentioned the artist earlier, who had the leisure and the ability because they're secure to look at the world as it is and their response is to try to reflect the beauty of it in their art and in their culture and in their person. And that is just, it, it's subtle. I know it sounds esoteric, but it's not. It's, it's eminently practical as well. That's a totally different disposition to go against the the world thinking I don't have to conquer it. I mean, I was, I was struck recently by just the, the, um, the beatitude of blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Inherit is a gift. The earth is a place. It's, I never even thought about how tangible that is. I don't know how exactly that's going to work out. I think of most of the Beatitudes as beatific vision. But the meek, it really seems as if the strong have conquered the earth. To think that the meek are actually the ones that will inherit it. It will be given as a gift, not as a, a conquest. It's just th- This entire disposition is different. I think it's actually the disposition of faith and the disposition of Um, believing that truth is truth and that one ought to discover and submit to it as soon as possible and in all ways possible
0: yeah one of the the paradoxes uh, Cheston mentions i think that the more one is bound to the responsibilities the duties of of matrimony to family to place to community to nation the more one is free the world has the opposite understanding of course
1: yeah which is, you know uh, a hilarious thing that happens on my farm a lot I am a I am a man who works from home who has a dairy farm I have seven children. I am so lacking in freedom it's amazing you and I are even doing this right now my I am totally <laughs> en- encumbered and you know who comes to the farm all the time successful, unlimited, free wealthy at a young age young men unmarried men um they come here looking for direction and i think to myself why have you come here i mean aren't aren't you the ideal of what and they are i mean they they epitomize what they've been sold as i mean they're they're jeffrey epstein man except without getting caught you know um they're 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 doing it you know and because <clears throat> that's not let's you know the whole Epstein things let's let's not pretend that we don't propose this as an ideal and then punish people sure. when they reach it um the hypersexualization of everything sorry make sure I qualify my comment there um but these young men have it all and they come here asking me for something. i tell I've got nothing for you 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 get married and find a place and stop I, I don't this isn't a complicated form I'm sorry I don't have the list of best practices for how to be human but I'm pretty sure it means bind yourself to things that you love and you are bound to, and they are bound to you. That might be a good start. But yeah, it's quite a paradox. I'm, what are you doing here on a dairy farm?
0: <laughs> You're right that we have this rationalistic perception of the universe that comes to us as from the the enlightenment, the endarkment, uh, and we perceive the world as will will have outcomes, and you see this in the church as much as anywhere else. And how, in in diocesan catechesis, for example, there's a an attitude of if we just get the right catechetical yeah. program, we'll get it right. Rather than saying, okay, how about we just tell every Catholic family in the diocese have one meal a day where you 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 say grace and you eat together, not in front of the television, and you pray one decade of the rosary. Just start <laughs> really, really simple, and then next year make it two decades. <laughs> next year, that will allow that to to cultivate very slowly. But we don't have that that trust, no, that faith no. in, in no, nature to be able to say that.
1: Nature or grace. Take confirmation. The preparations for confirmation. Uh, people, you know. I I don't know if it's the same there, but here, you know, the the general disposition, even if it's sometimes spoken against, is this is when you make a public proclamation of your faith. You make it your own, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Which, by the way, in the Council of Trent said if anyone says that confirmation is for the public proclamation of the faith of adolescents, let them be anathema. But um, when we speak of confirmation, we don't speak as if it's something will actually happen, meaning grace will be given to a soul and there will be... you know, you can receive confirmation at seven, but we delay it. We pile on. We delay it to 14, 15, 16. We pile on requirements, community service. There's just something. Man, if we just say something, they'll get it finally. Um, whereas if you look at the canon law of confirmation, there's three people that see to the suitability of a child being confirmed. Their parents, their sponsor and the pastor. My son is behind the screen. You can't see this. He's come to interrupt me and show me that he made a crossbow. He made a crossbow, and he's firing it, and it actually works. Maybe we should – I wish this radio was a – if it was a video, I would show your listeners. Um, anyway, when, but when it comes to confirmation, uh, you know, in the time of the Council of Trent, the, the, you needed to know basically the Our Father and the, uh, and the Creed to get confirmed. Um, yet there was there could be a comfort in knowing that you're imbued with an entire Catholic culture all around you but we mm-hmm. speak of we constantly just pile on more requirements more tests more lists to memorize and this is uh, conservative and liberal circles they don't know what to do with sacramental prep and the simple thing is to live the faith in the home um, I've proposed that pastors if they have the data to show very clearly that they've lost, uh, you know, maybe a generation or two of children through their sacramental prep programs, that they should let their people go that are in charge of those things politely, if they, you know, they're probably sincere, and then inform all the fathers that they are now completely in charge of instruction in the faith and pass out and say, well, now that I have a much less, much smaller staff, I'll be meeting with each family on the phone if we need to, of course, COVID, and to make sure... Uh, that you can explain to me your approach as a father to leading your family in virtue and understanding the faith, and uh, I'll call you in about three months, see how that's going. Imagine the transformation that would happen. I mean, how, how quickly it would occur right. if the parents are actually responsible, which they are. They will be judged for their children's uh, formation, right? They're the ones being judged. They have vocation to it, not the, not the, uh, the uh, uh, catechetical industrial complex you know, that argues endlessly over curriculum and, you know, how many hours to sit these poor children uh, in, a, in a classroom as if that's what they need more of. Um, I'm not opposed to classrooms, but
0: <laughs> most yeah, of Yeah, our Lord, our Lord blessed children and taught catechized adults, and we catechize <laughs> children and, and bless adults. <laughs> as you say, it's the lack of but what would again, militate against that is it, at least within the Novus Ordo system, they do not accept the headship of the father.
1: Right. Yeah. They actively.
0: Yeah, so I, it, I,
1: given
0: I, mutual submission. then it, that makes that very, very difficult.
1: Yeah. That's, um, I've actually been, especially during the time of COVID, um, I've been asserting my fatherly authority as much as possible. Uh, cause there are bishops who have forbidden people to come to my farm and camp, um, and I have been told I, if they can cancel masses and we're in a time of emergency, canon law makes it clear, then stop withholding graces from my children and confirm them. Uh, but our diocese in their the catechetical industrial complex, has all sorts of, uh, you know, rules and guidelines that have nothing to do with theology or law. And uh, I'm asserting, no, I have jurisdiction here. I would like my child confirmed. And there's not an argument. It's there. So my kids will be confirmed this weekend, by the way. Um, so if, if you're wondering, uh, I, we like to confirm our children at young ages. Um, but um, that's another, we should get to a whole other show on that. would be great. But I think that's actually a place where fathers can demand, no, I would like you to allow me to be faithful to my vocation by letting me teach my children. If you want to assess them, we can talk about how that can look. But uh, actually, for our confirmation, they said, well, they need to come in for a test. And I said, no, I'll administer the test um, at home and I'll let you know. And I, I didn't ask them. I just said, no, I'll administer the test and um, mm. and, I'll, you know, because I care more than you because I'm their father. I'm sure you're very yeah. sincere. I'm sure you care, but you don't care more than me. Um, so, no, I want to make sure that they take the test. And, uh,
0: well, he, he he is a father. But the problem is he doesn't think like a father in, in a lot of cases. They think of it uh, as administrators or managers. Right. Uh, and this is the problem with, with the homosexual inclination is that it militates against fatherliness because they have a father wound. Um, yeah. So we, that's, that's a whole nother <laughs> kettle of fish uh, to get into. But you wrote a wonderful article uh, called In Defense of Gentlemanly Things, interest amongst young men you see it in um, websites uh, programs uh, such as the art of manliness uh, and all this kind of interest on the internet uh, amongst these grassroots in kind of vintage manly customs and fashion and practices and traditions and you said that quote i don't think young men dressing acting and drinking with a vintage flair are longing for vintage for fashion's sake, but I think deep down are looking for the universals of manliness that our culture is failing to give. Brotherhood, fatherhood, even friendship. So it's this platonic idea. after a lost we. A boy watching a video on shaving with a straight razor is not longing to shave like his granddad, but is longing for his granddad. I don't know who we are, he says, but I think this is how we used to do it. He knows something went awry and for and that for some reason he is alone an individual this thing this razor is a link that he knows he needs to end quote i thought that was quite profound and really speaks to the the utter decay of the the social fabric that we see and the obviously the breakdown of the family what what kind of loneliness and atomization this has led to you go on to talk about how modern customs are are lame and what could you expand on that how the desire for the real for the tangible for the natural will always sort of supersede the desire for the latest apple gadget
1: yeah well there is um as i think i wrote that article probably five or six years ago and i would say that you know whatever problems were being perceived then are are, are getting worse because The atomization of society that where we're even individual from each other um, is getting extremely intensified, especially in COVID. I'll give you an example. I just we just finished building a house on our farm. Um, We host retreats on the farm, the retreat, but we had actually hosted on another farm. We rented that place and it burned down by lightning strike. I know God works in all ways and holds the whole world in being, but there's something about a lightning strike that makes you think he's up to something. So we discerned that we were going to build a house. So we built a house. And when I say built it, I mean, we did a lot of the actual labor. Um, and by the way, asserting fatherly authority in America, it's uh, you still have the legal right to build your own home, but it's buried under bureaucratic systems. So when I went in to <clears throat> get all my permits, they said, What's the license number of your, con- your electrical contractor? I said, I will be doing it. I said, no, you need a contractor. Nope, I don't. I will be doing it. It's my home. Uh, so little assertion of authority there again. It was a, it was a blast. Um, but I was amazed. I have a father. Um, you know, he's great and terrible and lost in many ways, but he's he's worked in construction his whole life. And our bond was strengthened immensely because I refused to look up on YouTube how to do anything. Um, And it strengthened our relationship as father and son because I needed him um, to be able to complete the work. Had I bypassed him, I probably could have figured out how to run a circuit and wire a three-way switch via YouTube. But I watched zero videos. And um, I think that's somewhat by habit and disposition, but also Uh, trying to not allow the technological solution to be the answer to all my problems. Um, But looking for the human and the natural solution, which is often, you know, the byproducts, like we were saying at the very beginning of this, of the natural solution, is that it's also good um, and doesn't leave you drained and watching, um, you know, 90s rap videos on YouTube when you went to go figure out how to uh, wire a switch. Not that that ever happened to me. so, when like I said, those young men they're going to YouTube to learn how to in the internet, and I was amazed when the phenomenon of the art of manliness and similar things came in, how prof- how many men, especially young men, jumped on uh the idea of wearing a necktie or a bow tie uh or sharpening a knife or. The longing in men's hearts for the practical and tangible is amazing. And we cannot dis- dislodge it from the reality that we learn these things from persons, from people. And they, the work itself and the act itself of learning to tie a tie, although my father's terrible at tying a tie. I'm much better. I will teach my sons better than he taught me. Um, those are the, that's the, the play. just the other night, my son is, uh, he's an altar server and. He's learning. He needs to keep his shoes shined, and I taught him how to shine a shoe. And it was, you know, it's like, man, this is straight out of the internet. Except it's not. This is normal (laughs) human activity. Um, Mm. And we live a life where I don't take a picture and put it on the internet. That everything I'm doing to validate that it's important. (laughs) Um, We don't do, you know, my children. If you were doing any research on my articles, you didn't find their picture. Um, That's on purpose. It's not there. Anyway, again, another that's another topic. But um, these things that we do, when we say like let's be great dads again and be good fathers and reassert the, okay, for men, you know what that means is, what do you want me to do exactly? Does this mm. mean some sort of special talk I need to have? Um, no, don't be weird. Don't for, for for God's sake and your children's sake, don't stuff everybody in a small group and talk until you've got all your problems figured out go split firewood teach him how to get dressed uh tell him inform him where his natural waste is show him how to tie a tie show him how you know my sons are they're learning not these things are simple um but and again i think we're actually blending you bringing up that article is high culture and low culture that once we have a certain civilization of our place then the the uh Obviously, you can, you, you, your listeners don't have the camera, but I seem to have lost my razor. Uh, the beard is – I'm going to have to start shaving just to teach my sons to um, – but these things are all related. So you men out there that might be listening that are not anywhere close to the land, you still have bodies. I mean you, you exist in a world, a physical, material world, and that is the means of connection for humanity. That's how we connect, which is why I'm horrified. And all of us being isolated at home and and mm. using the word connection and sites that aren't sites and places that aren't places and feeds that don't feed you and all of these imitations of of real things are doing us great harm because they are exact they are media there's something in between us and the thing itself
0: mm. um,
1: so yes I, I stand by that article still it was written long ago but it's it's worse now. And I think what, when you see these young chaps, and uh, perhaps they're a little too dandy, a little excessive, maybe that's that's what happens when you learn how to get dressed from the internet. Be a little more subdued <laughs> and classic uh, if you have some men in your life. <laughs> maybe. Depending on your place and the, and the style. But yes, that's the difference between style and fashion. Style comes to you as a gift from people who put clothes on longer than you Fashion comes from other people coming up with new ideas, and it's fashion is a tyranny. Style is a custom, is is wisdom. Uh, Fashion is unmanly and uh, draining of masculinity, and it absorbs your mind. You know, the dandy was only um, made possible after um, the rise of industrialization. Dandyism is an interesting topic to follow because men simply didn't have the time or the inclination or the – um, excessive mirror-standing time to, to, to you know. Of course, I'm talking about the modern day. I mean, there's always been men that look look at the images of kings and things. But um, the point is, sorry, getting off track there. Yes, you still have a body even if you're not close to the land. And whether you're splitting wood or <coughs> learning to paint your, your own home or m- moving around furniture or hanging a picture, involve your children. And uh, as you said, when you get done, pray your rosary. Just a decade next year you can pray too. That's a great, that's great advice, by the way.
0: Thank you very much. And for those listeners who may be thinking, well, I'm in a a knowledge economy job, which seems uh, to maybe fall into what John Senior called a parasitic work. From the point of view of economic health, Theroux said that in the most men leave lives of quiet desperation they are so the work they do is so distant from reality and doesn't seem to contribute to the common good it's it's part of the bureaucratic state which is orchestrated by the oligarchs the powerful private interests manipulation of labor supplies markets the sin of usury is is very much at the heart of it Um, all things
1: inorganic that's you know your your list there notice that is imposed that john senior also defines the tyrant as he who imposes from without right opposed to the father who has affection and leads and guides from within you know the family that's the difference
0: and they may feel this impulse to return to the land as you say it's it's kind of an instinct that maybe lies dormant within every man and that impulse may be growing more urgent in this time of the so-called great reset um, (laughs) perhaps approaching and clearly some kind of switch is being flipped from factory farming to almost lab food production Uh, using the pretext of covid and the so-called environmental crisis the, the pretext of sustainability the the enemies of God are using this time uh, to switch to a 3D printed meat and uh, cockroach, oh. nuggets, and but all sorts that, of delicacies coming your na- way.
1: As nauseating as it sounds, is it not inevitably by the logic of things? Sure. Even the modern agricultural practices that, you know, farmers had a great word that they used for um, and does you know farming that's harsh on the land they call it rape you know the, the earth is a mother and you're, you're this is a rape of what you're doing yes there's a certain violence to certain times of agriculture but now in people's minds they've set man as opposed to the earth he walks on as if we're now an adversarial which of course in some ways yeah we're we're causing harm that doesn't mean we do that by nature we do that when we when we leave our nature behind we're not Naturally destructive of the things that sustain us.
0: I mean, you have to be well, some sort of sorry. I say that modernity is a series of revolutions, and we've everything is broken down, dissolved to such a stage now where the the very earth is is rising up against man for mm-hmm. rising up against God. Mm-hmm. So there is a truth there that they obviously distort. You have done tremendous work, uh, splendid work with St. Joseph's Farm in pursuing an integrated agricultural life. Although even you acknowledge that you're not able to do this full time, the the economic system is so rigged against a cottage economy, against subsistence agriculture, that it's, it's economically unviable. So I, my, my question is that for for men listening to this who, who may be thinking along these lines how what what advice would you give to be able to to get started and to return to the land when land is prohibitively expensive um, and when they may not have family links to people who can teach them those skills
1: right well i want to i i did not either i had to find those and i will say the best advice i tell people is to get off of google to find your solution <laughs> that there is land everywhere, and it is largely still fertile, and you can have very simple systems created uh, and understandings between neighbors and people who do have land. Uh, because the biggest obstacle, or there's two of the biggest obstacles, is agriculture is a culture, and you can't build a culture. It grows, and you're not an agricultural
0: person. It's made.
1: It's begotten, not made. You cannot make yourself a farmer. I'm wildly offended how often managers of things call me and say, well, what I want to do is use all my my money to buy a farm and I'll let other people farm it and I'll manage it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so you don't have the culture, you don't know how, but don't despair. Get started, plant a tomato. Um, <clears throat> next is, and you need to find mentors and things in, in that realm. But, uh, and then the, the other cost prohibitive or the the thing that's prohibitive is is the cost of land it's uh, land is artificially um inflated because it is no longer valued for its uh true agricultural purposes but as a, essentially as status symbol in a, a state alone it's not a, mm. a, a it's not valued for what it can actually produce which is sad because then the people that own it don't have an affection for it and they do things like you know my neighbors who live in Virginia and own 90 acres and logged it all who cares we got the money from the log you know um And they're not caring for it and planting it back or anything like that. So my point is, just get started. Um, You are in an agrarian society. You are an agrarian creature by nature. Um, If you can support local farms, if you can't grow any food, that's fine. But grow a tomato, barter. um, Just get off the screen and interact with people. Even when I was beginning this, I was living in an apartment in Denver, Colorado, I happened to notice my neighbor across the street had this big old empty lot. I said, can I plant a garden there? He said, yeah. So within 20, 30 feet of my window, I had a garden in the middle of you know, a city. Um, I, I don't want to propose too many ideas because I, I'm actually astounded at human ingenuity when you sort of just get off of trying to find the solution on your your search results um, and just step outside. It's amazing how simple even the precepts of the gospel, you know, love your neighbor is so practical. Uh, and agrarianism is not an impractical ideal. It's the most practical thing you can possibly think of because you need food every day, uh, multiple times a day. So anyway, I would say just figure out how to find a simple connection to it. If you're interested in actually farming, it's just find a mentor, or find somewhere to go and, and start and just work within the place where you are. It might be impossible for some people. I don't know. Um, but we... <coughs> Found a home we could barter with. I found some mentors. Actually, I live on the farm of one of my first mentors. But I can wrap all that up and simply say, (laughs) you can get started where you are. I'm living on the farm of one of my first mentors. And I just looked him up and asked him to teach me something. He he told me to shut up and buy a cow. So I bought a cow. Actually, I bought two cows. And we just got started. I mean, just get started. Don't be fearful of failure. there's a article out in the, there's a new magazine out called Hearth and Field sort of an agrarian Catholic magazine um, that I have an article in about some tips when you're getting started um, but you if you're not if you're interested in the and the the value of agrarianism and you can't actually be a farm that's also fine too you know Chesterton was not a farmer he just wrote about us a lot. Um, And that's fine. There's there's very good ways that you can support and secede uh, or support the good and secede from the bad. And you just need to figure out what that is for where you live.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not that all work need be manual. The 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 intellectual tradition of the church is that intellectual work is higher than manual work in that the intellect is higher than the body. The, the arch- architecture is a more noble occupation than carpentry, not to again denigrate carpentry or anything else, but sure. that a carpenter, the glazier, the mason, and understand not just how those crafts work, but why and mm-hmm. how they integrate. I guess the problem comes in when you start talking about, okay, that building firm now has a marketing manager yeah. uh, and a database officer. It's that, that next step removed is problematic
1: right there's difference there's a difference between a higher uh uh intellectual work and just work that doesn't use the body anymore um there's 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 there's, there's some distinctions there um but there's as john senior the parasitic the people trying to insert or extract profit from normal human interactions that don't need them involved in them um Mm. that that's where the diabolical is. And that's, those are the places where we can more easily not participate than we, in, in some ways than, than, uh, than we think.
0: Yeah, and, and also uh, just to uh, touch on this dichotomy we sometimes have in our minds. I remember reading in Roberto de Mattei's biography of Dr. Plinio Correa de Oliveira. He was very keen that he was not labeled as a Catholic intellectual because... That is the result of a Cartesian split between the and the bottom, and it would minimise the, the Catholic action that he did, his work as a Catholic priest, to just be called the Catholic intellectual. As Catholics were meant to live integrated lives of mind and body. So it's been a, a great honor, Mr. Craig, to have you uh, on Vendee Rick again in the future. But I would like slightly a provocative question and on a different topic. How are most trads modernists? <laughs>
1: uh, does that some, are, are you pulling that from your own thought or did I write something? on
0: uh, I, I heard you say that on a podcast okay. full disclosure.
1: Yeah. Um, well, they most of them are modernists in their radical individuality um i hope that's what i said in other places you <laughs> read <laughs> um although i might have some other caveats in there um but um it's a, unfortunate right now the way the language within the church um is trying to put at some sort of odds the love of tradition and the love of our common humanity. Um, and sometimes both sides um, entrench themselves in, in ways that are strangely opposed, and I think um, trads, which uh, I have attended almost exclusively the Latin Mass for uh, about 12 years, so. Um, I'm not speaking throwing rocks inside um, or I'm from the outside, I should say, uh, is that our radical need for one another and the love of neighbor and the love of each other gets dismissed as some sort of hue, hue, you know nonsense of the Francis sort. Um, when it's actually if we want the culture that we love and we believe is received through tradition um, to be what it is then we really need each other. Uh, And it was actually a traditionalist priest um, who, when I first left to go venture to the country to seek the ideals of the Catholic agrarian village, he said, the problem that you're going to find is that no one, that everyone, I'm sorry, no one needs each other anymore. That just as the bodily need um, of food, you know, creates the need for agriculture, Us recognizing that we need one another and that this is how we know, um, this is how we are confirmed uh, and live out the actual faith is something that's just not um, spoken about, the mutual love of one another. So anyway, or to sum it all up, you can't baptize yourself. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. how I would put it a little more short and pithy.
0: I think that's a a beautiful note to end on. So, Mr. Craig, thank you very much for your time and your wisdom.
1: Great job. Thank you. I appreciate this very much.
0: Thank you. God bless.